Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... After years of reported abuse while incarcerated under Georgia's correctional system, Ashley Diamond was hours away from taking the state to court. She'll join me and she'll talk about the choice to put her mental health first while still committed to being a transgender civil rights activist. Also, Let's Ride Atlanta offers free short rides throughout the city in an electric vehicle, but now they're heading to downtown Decatur. We'll find out why. All that's just ahead. But first, a check of these news headlines. The family of Manuel Tehran, who was shot and killed at Atlanta's police and fire training facility in South DeKalb County, say body camera footage released by the Atlanta Police Department raises more questions about the deadly officer-involved shooting. Shemaine Cruz has more. Tehran's family is again calling for a face-to-face meeting with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and DeKalb County Medical Examiner's Office to release to them all the evidence collected to date in their investigation. The request comes after body camera footage released by Atlanta police shows officers walking through the site of the city's proposed public safety training facility when a dozen shots are fired in the distance. None of the four clips show the shooting, but gunshots can be heard. And Tehran's family says show the protester was killed in a hail of gunfire. Authorities say Tehran was shot and killed by law enforcement after the protester fired first. The GBI said in a statement it remains committed to a complete and accurate investigation and won't release its evidence until the probe is done. Shemaine Cruz, WABE News. In other news, the attorney representing the final six defendants in the Atlanta Public Schools cheating trial will be removed from the case. The former educators are still trying to appeal their convictions handed down in 2015, as we hear from Martha Dalton. Attorney Stephen Scarborough asked to withdraw from the case due to conflicts that came from representing more than one defendant. Retired Judge Jerry Baxter, who presided over the 2015 case, questioned why it took Scarborough years to decide that. Ultimately, Baxter removed him. The state questioned whether all six of the defendants could qualify for free legal representation, saying some had incomes higher than the allowed amount. The defendants will appear in court again March 16th. Martha Dalton, WABE News. And a note of disclosure, WABE's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. A key committee at the Capitol has passed legislation to allow most trucks on Georgia's roads to be up to five tons heavier. WABE's Raul Bali reports on the fight over those 10,000 pounds. Supporters of heavier trucks include Georgia's agriculture and forestry industries. Mike Giles is with the Georgia Poultry Federation. There are two factors to consider. One is your capacity. It's almost like bandwidth with the Internet. And the other is time. How much goods can you, can you deliver 
uh, in a given amount of time with the capacity that you have. Supporters also argue that heavier individual loads will mean fewer trips leading to less wear and tear on roads and lower environmental impact. Supporters also mention Georgia's business competitiveness and the shortage of truck drivers. But opponents include city, county, and some state leaders, along with safety officials and advocates. They argue that going from an 80,000-pound max to a 90,000-pound max will increase stopping distances. Opponents are also not convinced that there would be fewer truck trips or miles driven and that there would be exponentially more wear and tear on bridges and pavement. State Department of Transportation Commissioner Russell McMurray said that would cost state and local governments billions. The simple fact is our bridges in the state are not designed to hold this additional weight. In fact, about 97% of the bridges in Georgia are designed to hold 80,000 pounds or less. And especially on the county roads, uh, over half of the county road bridges are designed to only hold a 30,000 pound truck. This legislation deals with state, county, and city roads and not interstates. The bill now waits a possible vote in the House. Raul Valley, WABE News. Also from the General Assembly, the Georgia House has passed a bill expanding Georgia's move-over law to include drivers stuck on the side of the road. Now, currently, the law requires drivers to move over a lane or slow down when an emergency vehicle with flashing lights is on the shoulder. Republican State Representative John Corbett explained the potential new addition. What we're doing with this bill, we're just going to extend that same privilege to the disabled motorists that's out there on the road. If they're broke down with their flashing lights on, they have to have their flashing lights on, then you get the same courtesy. A ticket for violating the move over law runs up to $500 plus other fees. The bill now heads to the state Senate. One of Atlanta's champions for historically black colleges and universities could soon be honored with a congressional gold medal. Some members of Georgia's congressional delegation praised Atlanta businessman Tommy Dorch yesterday. Dorch, who was also the longtime chair of 100 Black Men, Congresswoman Nakima Williams introduced a bill yesterday on the House floor in honor of Tommy Dorch. He was a long, again, the longtime chair of 100 Black Men. She recognized his many civil contributions, including his work as founder of the National Black College Alumni Hall of Fame. Mr. Dorch has led the foundation to award over $1 million in grants and scholarships to students and exposed more than 500,000 students to college opportunities. As a third-generation HBCU grad, I know firsthand their critical role in fostering black excellence. The gold medal is the nation's highest honor for distinguished achievements and contributions. Now, of course, this Sunday is a Super Bowl. I know who you got, Kansas City Chiefs or the Philadelphia Eagles. And some of y'all will watch for the commercials or the halftime show this year at Superstar Rihanna. We're all excited about that. I know I am. And some of you will watch the Puppy Bowl as well you should because this year Atlanta will be in the Puppy Bowl. That's right. We'll be represented by Blue, a seven-month-old Australian shepherd who, according to his bio, which is longer than mine, once roamed the streets of Atlanta, but now he's making his national television debut this Sunday during the Puppy Bowl. You can catch it on Animal Planet or Discovery Plus at 2 p.m. Blue will be playing for the Puppy Bowl's Team Rough. (laughs) Okay, and finally. Love is in the air Everywhere I look around Now, love may be in the air come Valentine's Day next week, but as for a sunny day, ah, we don't know. Forecasters say the Atlanta area will get battered by on and off rain showers over the next three days. 
And from the National Weather Service, that could mean up to two inches of rain on average. So who do we ask? We ask Kyle Thiem. He's a meteorologist in Peachtree City. He says, don't worry, the dreary weather won't be ruining any outdoor plans on actual Valentine's Day this Tuesday. Well, the good news is on Valentine's Day right now, uh, things look pretty good for you and uh, your Valentine if you want to get out and about. Uh, For the metro area, we're looking at temperatures in the afternoon around 60 degrees. We are expecting some rain that evening. It's going to be Tuesday evening. Hmm. Now, he went on to say his biggest concern for the metro area this weekend, get ready, is a bit of snow. I know, right? But he is not expecting any major accumulation since temperatures are set to stay above freezing. Meanwhile, let's all get ready for Love Day, which is next Tuesday. Hit it, Sawyer. Love is in the air. And we're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Ashley Diamond served three years in a men's prison. She actually sued the Georgia Department of Corrections back in 2015. I want to play a clip that was provided to us from the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center. As a nonviolent offender who was incarcerated um, in the worst, most violent prisons in the state of Georgia, from first of all, uh, it's horrific within itself. Um, the violence that I suffered at the hands of other people was truly, 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 truly rough. And Diamond reported being sexually assaulted many times and was also denied hormone treatments. In 2016, she won an undisclosed settlement from the state. Her case resulted in policy changes in Georgia prisons designed to improve the treatment of incarcerated transgender people. Last year, Diamond filed another lawsuit against the Georgia Department of Corrections, again claiming, talking about the sexual assault and again being denied adequate health care after a second incarceration. But several weeks ago, Diamond chose not to go forward with the second trial and to instead focus on healing and then possibly return to her activism on behalf of transgender people. Ashley Diamond joins me in studio now, along with one of her attorneys from the Southern Poverty Law Center, Beth Luttrell. Welcome to you both. Hi, Rose. It is so good to be here. And I know you asked about a mug and a T-shirt. I'm going to give you all that. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm <laughs> excited. Beth, it's been some years. Good to see you back in the studio. Thanks, Rose. Good to be here. Thank you. Ashley, let's begin here. Okay. Because a lot of folks, there was a, why, why, why drop the second lawsuit? And, and you talked about, in the press release that came out, you said, look... I've got to take time for healing. And I want to go back a little bit. Had you been on a path to, and, and that, that it's different for everybody, but had you begun any type of therapy, any healing, what was that process like for you? You know, Rose, to be completely honest, um, no. 
that was the entire point. Um, you know, although it was very therapeutic to fight always for what you believe in and for the humanity of not myself, but for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but when you go through an experience like what I've been through mm -hmm. twice, um, you get an awakening that is different than, I, I, you know, some people will understand what I'm saying and some people will not. Um, but I believe you come to a crossroad where you're either just going to give up everything or you're going to make some different decisions. Mm -hmm. And for me, I know a lot of people are not going to like this, and but I want to speak my truth, and it's the truth. Um, it was a spiritual decision. I reached out to my higher power one day, and I was like, God, what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. I'd been going through so much physically and emotionally. Like, I've lost so much weight. Um, just the stress of it. And I know people say, well, you put yourself out there, you put yourself in. Yes, I do, I do. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't get overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And to give yourself in the ways that I've given myself for my community, um, for people, just period, um, has been a struggle. Um, I authentically, you know, fight for what is right. Mm -hmm. I believe that humanity is something that we all can share. It doesn't matter if you're gay, black, white, trans, any of that. And I think that there is truly a moral, um, how can I say this, that, that we lack as people the ability to be able to recognize that. We get so caught up in the topics and who's what and what is what mm -hmm. that we forget about people. My situation and what happened to me was... Um, Yes, it's horrible and it's not good, but to not be recognized as a human being has been the most, imp the painful thing about it. Ashley, do you have a support system? You know, I am slowly putting together a great support system, but because I am so unwilling to trust and, you know, it's really hard because, you know, outside of this, I'm doing music and other things and it's really hard to give yourself 100% when you're still, you know, to me, it's just better to publicly live this out loud, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so everyone can pull something from this. I don't think for me not to talk about how painful it is and all of that would be an injustice, so. But are you also struggling or trying to figure out how to balance when do I need to disconnect from? Yes. And, and, I, and at, take time for myself. Yes, and that is where it came down to. I'm very, very lucky. I have a great support system. I have the lawyers. I have Shinya Ray. I have uh, Teresa Selman. I have Cece Winans. I have Jackson Wheeler. I'm so grateful for people like that and Janet Mock and people who really take time out of their day to really say, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And that are really trying to help me as a black trans woman solidify myself not just it just so happens I happen to be in music and television but even if it wasn't that mm -hmm. helping to solidify me a valid income helping to solidify you know what's important to me um, my community and the rights of that community um, you know it's a responsibility too but it's something I gladly do but you know pain comes with a lot of things mm -hmm. Pain makes you beautiful to me, but it comes with a lot of things. And that's what I see a lot of, hurting people, hurting people. And for me, GDC, that's what this was for me. It was like, you know what? 
they know if, if at this point mm-hmm. you don't realize what you have done, then I'm just like we went through all of that four years ago. And these things were supposed to be solidified and put in place. None of these things should have happened again. There was really absolutely no reason. None whatsoever. Um, come back to your mom because I want to bring in Beth Luttrell. And I want to pick up what Ashley, pick up on what Ashley just said, because we've been hearing that there have been changes made as it relates to those d- defenders who are incarcerated and those folks who require hormone and, and therapy treatments. Is that Has that policy been enacted? Do yes. We know it has been. On paper, um, GDC has really improved the um, results and consequences of Ashley's first lawsuit made an enormous impact mm-hmm. on paper. <laughs> on paper, yes. Yeah. And so the second lawsuit was about ensuring that those good policies were in fact enacted. So even though that lawsuit was dropped, how can, who's going to hold them accountable? How do you see holding GDC accountable for enacting what was put on paper? You know, so so there's a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there are some different uh, policies that they not only passed, but also implemented. They just scratched the surface, though. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty superficial. You know, last time, Ashley was completely denied hormonal care. They had this mm-hmm. terrible freeze-frame policy that was uh, obviously unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Well, now they provide some hormone treatment, but you got to jump through hoops. It mm-hmm. doesn't happen on time. Yep. They provide some, you know, therapeutic care for gender dysphoria, but they, they don't know what you know, a culturally competent, trans-competent um, uh, psychologist would know. They don't really provide, they do things, they move paper around, uh, but they don't really help trans people. So if they don't know, if they, if we want to say, well, they simply don't know, is there a model out there, is there another state, or there are other facilities that have the model, that have the, the, the process and the procedures, that perhaps GDC could say, you know what, maybe we could model this or maybe we could use this yes yes the, the answer is, is clearly yes and there, there are a lot of good policies that are out there the, the, if, if they follow their own policies that they have here to the t if they really wanted to help trans people um they could do so with these policies or without these policies right but it's you know they came kicking and screaming you know to just to the to the floor mm-hmm. of what they should be providing, and we just got to keep pushing to ensure that they in fact provide it and and provide it in a way that is impactful and and meaningful. Was the reasoning, according to the GDC, and we have reached out to the GDC for comment. I have not heard back. I don't think my producer has either. But did they have an explanation other than well, we just didn't know what to do, or we just we've never had this issue, so we didn't bother to try to provide these treatments for for folks honestly the the position that gdc took in this litigation instead of actually helping ashley instead of actually making sure that she was safe and provided adequate care they did everything they could to just uh to just fight it's you know in some ways her first lawsuit made her second lawsuit really difficult because they they were sort of dug in like you know we're not going to let her win again and so instead of actually doing something to protect her or provide her adequate care they did everything they could to protect themselves to lose evidence to make sure that her witnesses were moved away and to just re-traumatize uh her in every way as she was trying to fight this case was anyone ever reprimanded was there anyone ever 
charged with any of the, the, the assaults that took place, the sexual assaults, the physical assaults that Ashley endured? Sadly, no. Sadly, no. The accountability piece is really what we have to continue to push systemically because the system is really set up to protect the correctional officers and the victimizers um, and to, like I said, just re-traumatize and make it more difficult, if not almost impossible, to, to get justice for the victims. Ashley, were there other transgender offenders that served that, that you were aware of? Yeah, there were several, but, you know, they always kept me away from people, and mm-hmm. they kept me away from, you know, a lot of trans people and stuff. They felt like I was an influence because, you know, I was a voice, and mm-hmm. a lot of those people were very young children. Not children, but they're very young kids, and they're members of the LGBT community, and they were put in impeccable situations. Mm-hmm. And so people looked up to me, and they really, you know, wanted to be there for me and I wanted to be there for them. So, you know, I can honestly say out of all of the bad things that those are the positives that came out of it. There was some unity. Some unity. Were there times where you did get to, where you all could speak to each other? We would sneak and meet. And um, it's very interesting because um, they, (laughs) they literally did everything they could to make sure that um, my demise would be inevitable. And as far as like ignoring suicide attempts, ignoring the damage to my body, ignoring the assaults, losing the evidence, like this was not, I I don't think people, like I really, you know, I don't want to bite, I'm not biting my tongue on this. I really think this was really just a matter of them hating me. This was completely about bigotry this time. From not only some correctional staff, but other inmates or or solely from both both. from everyone. And I have to, I talk about it in my book. Um, It's really funny because there were a lot of transfer people that didn't like me too. Now they're like, Oh, we want to be able to be in here with the men and we want to be able to do this. And you're messing this up for us. Will you stop? And I was like, but in truth, that's not what you, you know, prison, I, it's not the dating game. It's right. not a place where it's not the boys club. You don't right. go and meet nice, wonderful people in prison. Were there a few? Yes. But I promise you the bad apples outweighed the good. Ashley, do you feel comfortable talking about, were there times where you thought about dying by suicide? Absolutely, because... um That's important to me. Um, You know, I've spoke about it before. It is very sad when um, your life is considered disposable and when people can't view you as a human or as a person and you're just viewed as this thing because a lot of times that is it, what I'm viewed as, you know. Mm -hmm. Even in the public light, you know, I'm still just, you're like a toy, you know, people... It's very hard to put into words, but when I would feel like I really was shown the most ugliest things out of people, and I guess that's why my spiritual connection with the divine one became so close, because I never knew of another human being that went through such horrible things. And I would never compare what I went through to the things that he went through, but I definitely know what it's like to suffer. And I definitely know what it's like to be at that end wit. 
and and that was a sad dark place to be and um I don't want to be there mm -hmm. and I don't want anyone else to be there. So that is why I do this. That is why I continue to do what I'm doing. Are you hearing from other transgender incarcerated folks? Absolutely. Listen, my mail, oh my God, thousands of letters, not only from pastors, but from, yeah, pastors mm -hmm. of churches. And, and, and it's really weird because some of them are Southern Baptist, some of them are Episcopal. I mean, there is a broad range of people who write me that know that no matter where you stand on this issue that morally what happened to me was not right beth how many other stories like are you all feel like ashley diamonds are still occurring but maybe we don't know about or the public doesn't know about hundreds thousands I, 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 yeah i don't disagree with that i mean we hear from trans incarcerated uh people all the time you know, on a, on a pretty consistent basis, who are in terrible conditions. Um, you know, we've brought some lawsuits on their behalf, but, you know, there's, there's it's like whack-a-mole, you know, in the Deep South in particular. Um, and there are just so many um, inhumane conditions of confinement that um, incarcerated people in general have to deal with, and trans people in particular, obviously. Um, so, you know, Putting a, a woman in a men's prison is just so obviously, you know, brutal and dangerous. It's it's really a, a, a sad situation that we are having to litigate whether or not um, that's constitutional or not. And so, you know, it it happens. It's happening right now where trans people are um, not treated with the dignity and, you know, human um, respect and, 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 are, and are in terrible situations. And it's, it's, it's just ongoing. From a facilities and logistics, what would you like to see? And either one of you can, can, can answer that in terms of should there be separate housing of, of transgender folks? Or are you saying that it's however you someone identifies they should be matched to that same gender that for 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 folks is that? i think that it is important to recognize vulnerability let's okay. start there i think that if you are vulnerable that they know what happens in that environment that they should be careful about it i definitely think whether you see someone as a man or a woman or not if they're physically altered and you have breasts and you have hips and lungs. you don't need to be in there with a bunch of rapists and people like that. I'm sorry, you don't. You need to be separated and you need to be protected because there's a side of prison, which I talk a lot about in the book, mm -hmm. that like it's time for me, the best way to, you know, you said earlier, how do we get GDC to do right? How do we get them to, the best way is for me to live this out and show you the damage that you cause, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, to talk about the dysregulation and the recklessness of these officials. But it's very difficult because here we are in the South, as she stated earlier, it's very deep rooted. I, I, I don't know why people seem to think, yes, we turned into a blue state, but that the fanfare didn't last long. Like Georgia is stuck in this time warp. And I love it, Georgia, and I always will, but we, as a people, again, have to wake up and realize different people are everywhere all over the world. Just because you don't like what someone is or how they identify, is no reason to let them be mistreated. Mm -hmm. Beth, yeah, I mean, the, the first thing I would say is it, it should be trans-led. 
right? That decision is not a decision that um, right. that SPLC should make or that civil rights advocates should make from from right. the outside. It has to be a conversation with um, with with trans people who mm-hmm. know what it's like to live their life um, out loud and incarcerated. So, you know, the the, the policy that Georgia Department of Corrections has is the bare minimum, which is that they're supposed to give serious consideration to Mm -hmm. a trans person's own, um, you know, account of their safety. Um, But, you know, that's, it's just sort of lip lip service. But if it were actually implemented, Mm -hmm. if every, you know, trans person or non-binary person who was in a custodial situation really was able to say, where am I safest? Is this then a something that needs to be implemented through a legislative mandate then is there something you, that should be on the books yes. you think absolutely yes yes it should it should be on the books there there, there needs to be systemic change legislatively policy-wise and and judicially to say trans people need to be treated with with dignity and they need to be protected no matter where they're placed do and you have the support from folks under the gold dome do you have some support there well, we're working with with people under the gold dome, and and we're hopeful that you know yeah. I don't know that it's this session, <laughs> absolutely, but, but I think eventually, yeah, we're going to be able to get that. Done. I do too. I see that. That is my vision. You know, um, I see where this bad can become very positive, and I'm seeing it because of the influence that I'm having on people. I don't realize it. Some days I walk around here, and I'm in this funk. Yeah. Of sadness, dark clouds, always. How do you and get out of that, Ashley? I sing. I sing my heart out. You know, I do a mean Whitney Houston impersonation. I used to be a Whitney, well, I still am a Whitney impersonator. Yeah. But um, focusing on my record right now is giving me a lot. Elliot Page, a trans activist and mm-hmm. friend, was a big supporter of me. And I'm recording a song now called Ouch Elliot, which I named after him. Um, but it talks about the suicide. It talks about, it takes you there. And it's easier for me to do that sometimes through my music than it is for me to do it verbally. So, like, there's a lot of storytelling and things that are about to come, and I'm excited about putting it out there. Even this story, um, I want to plug my book real quick, The Memoirs <laughs> the memoirs of a Chain Gang Sissy. Everybody does it. Yeah. Let me ask you, as we begin to wrap up, Ashley, when I asked you about your, your support circle and therapy for you you are committed to being a transgender activist you know what it, you know what it means to be an activist i mean that's something that you're always on yeah you know um where do you think you will be hopefully where do you think you'll see yourself five years from now leading this five this years movement? from now i plan to be on the floor at congress i plan to have created some great strides for the trans youth I'm so excited about that. And I plan to open everyone's eyes and and see, to see, just to see. It only takes one. I say it all the time. It only takes one. only takes one. Ashley Diamond, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Beth Luttrell from the Southern Poverty Law Center, thank you as well. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Go sing. (laughs) I started to.
And Closer Look continues now here from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott, of course, on WABE. Now, the Downtown Development Authority and a nearby major grocery store, and then there's Let's Ride Atlanta, and then there's the Down Decatur East Shuttle Program. All these folks are coming together. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. Now, we all know and love that electric vehicles are very important, right? Save on gas. You have no gas. Well, there's a reason for all this, too. Now, this program that's heading to downtown Decatur, we're going to tell you to keep listening and we'll tell you why. Because Shirley Bayless is the business management, the business development manager for the city of Decatur. And then Shondale Cooper is the director of operations for Let's Ride Atlanta. Both join me now to talk about all these collaborations and about this ride program, how we'll operate and all that good stuff. Shirley, welcome back. Hi. Good to have you. And also, uh, do we have Shondell? Shirley yeah, Shondell? I'm here. All right. Hi, how are you, Rose? Thanks for having me. All right. Let's let's back up a little bit because there's a lot of moving parts here. So let's ride Atlanta is somehow involved in this, right? Yes. Okay, so Definitely. for our listeners not familiar, take them through what Let's Ride Atlanta is all about. Yeah, so Let's Ride Atlanta is a free electric ride share program that we've been operating in downtown. Atlanta and Midtown for the past almost five years coming up in April. Uh, and so we've been supporting the area with short, you know, first to last mile transit solutions, helping folks get back and forth from like the aquarium to their hotels or MARTA, uh, and even helping, you know, local folks that live in the area get uh, to restaurants or to the Fox Theater for a show. And so we've been doing that for the, the past few years. And uh, essentially, we're a free rideshare program. And, and Shondell, how do you all then make money if you're, I mean, you got to pay for those beautiful vehicles. <laughs> yeah, great question. Great question. So uh, what we do is that we help businesses by using our vehicles as mobile billboards or advertising. Uh, so we wrap our vehicles with these very high impressionable uh, wraps that uh, put your business in the forefront of target audiences or broad audiences in downtown Atlanta or events and attractions. All right. Now I want to bring in Shirley Bayless for a second. Um, what attracts you all to having this partnership with Let's Ride Atlanta? Well, a little history on that is that uh, we worked with Let's Ride before COVID, actually, for an event. Uh, it was during the holiday season, and uh, we've connected. And over time, I once we kind of came back into the office last year, I thought about uh, using Let's Ride on some things. And and had a meeting with uh, Sean, and um, we were just kind of meeting about what the, last year's holiday season would look like. And um, in that discussion, he, you know, I told him, I said, "Hey, I have this idea, you know, because we we need a place, uh, need something for our residents who are downtown, especially many of them being our seniors. Uh, some people uh, working in downtown uh, may want to." Get to Publix, and um, and uh, because now we no longer have a grocery store downtown, uh, because um, a, a grocery store did close in downtown, and so um, he, you know, he mentioned a, another city that had done something, and I did my research on it, and and figured, hey, let's see if we can make that happen here, and um, it took about about a month and a half to mm -hmm. bring all the pieces together, but uh, we were able to kick it off and. Now back on January, I think it was 18th now. <laughs> Seems like it's been two, three months already, but it's only been about a, just under a month. So. so, Shirley, I just want to get some clarity for our listeners as well. So in downtown Decatur, you have a pretty good mixture or a pretty large percentage of, of either seniors 
or, or folks retirees retirees mm-hmm. yes and we and you know and we have you know we have um many people work in offices some people working in businesses and a lot of times people that were working in offices they're not necessarily wanting to go to a restaurant to buy mm-hmm. you know lunch and things like that so we want to if to kick it off as a pilot, um, those who were most affected by the closing of uh, the grocery store that was downtown, uh, or they live downtown, mm-hmm. and they were used to walking and um, and not having to get in their car. Okay, I just um, want to be very clear. We, so, because I it, just so we people know, we're talking about there were two. There was a Kroger. It was a down. It was kind of a yes. small Kroger, but it was yes. the, the downtown Kroger in Decatur closed. Yes. Okay. And so, and they left a lot of people, you know, having, if they didn't have access to a vehicle or they just like to walk to get their few groceries, the nearest grocery store was a few miles away. Well, Publix is about a mile. Is that about right, Sean? It's about a mile away. Yeah. From but, a little bit over a mile from downtown Decatur Center. Okay. Yeah. But the, the walk is not necessarily what I would consider. Um, it's, it's not the easiest walk yeah, because exactly. there's a, major road that you have to cross mm-hmm. over if you're coming from downtown so um we looked into this program with uh, in partnership just as a means of seeing how it works see if it you know get the data and look mm-hmm. at it and really seeing how it's being used sean when you all are making the decision to come into a, a community or, or are you going to service or you want to service a particular area although it might fit into that one to three mile radius that that length that you all can operate what else are you looking at in terms of making sure this is a service you all can p- provide yeah absolutely I, I think the biggest thing that uh you know we look at is of course the density of, of the area mm-hmm. being one uh and so sometimes the the terrain, uh, you know, some our vehicles, although they're low speed vehicles, sometimes have you know challenges with hills and and whatnot and inclement weather. Uh, but for the most part, I think we just look for the density in the area and just making sure that we're able to uh, meet the regulation, which is roads that are thirty five miles per per hour and below. Really? Now, what type of vehicle is this? It's not a. It's not like a bus. It's sort of a. Yeah, it's like a. Uh, how can I put it? It's a. It's a cross between a uh, Nissan Leaf and a golf cart, essentially. Uh, they <laughs> okay. a, a low speed vehicle. Uh, it has fully enclosed doors, mm-hmm. seat belts. The top speed is twenty five miles per hour, uh, and they come equipped with you know uh, heat fan and a few other amenities, uh, and they do really well. You know, in the uh, in the area in southern states in general. Uh, and they're fully electric and they're fully, you know, just also a great experience to ride in with those big, big windows that we have. People mm-hmm. feel like a VIP when they're they're getting shuttled. around. Mm-hmm. And what is the capacity in terms of passengers? Yeah. So uh, currently we have a couple vehicles. We have a four passenger and a six passenger. vehicle. Are they able to accommodate someone uh, who's using a wheelchair? Unfortunately, we don't have a chair lift. Mm-hmm. Now we have at times, if, if folks can stand, we've done this a number of times, um, uh, accommodate wheelchairs because we have uh, trunk back carriers and mm-hmm. we assist folks with, you know, getting in the vehicle. And so we, you know, we, we kind of balance that out at times if folks do have the ability to stand. Is that something you think down the line you would love to have? Absolutely. I, I definitely have sent that feedback to the OEM uh, to have some sort of, you know, capabilities for, for folks that are a little challenged. Are these vehicles expensive to, I mean, you don't have a, a, a huge fleet right now, but I'm curious in terms of 
you know, your, your costs, your overhead here. What's the price oh, on yeah. these? Yeah, they are very expensive. Uh, good question. So um, they, <laughs> they generally start, it's kind of a la carte how you purchase the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And you sort of, it looks like a golf cart essentially. And then you add on the pieces, the doors, the the, the, the heat, the fan, uh, and solar, you know, panel on the top, if you, if you want fancy things like that, and even down to the batteries. Uh, and so those, they generally run anywhere between 20,000, uh, to the top model, uh, with the, the lithium capabilities, I would say about 35 K. Okay. Now I got some emails here. So how will this work? How will folks, where do you pick up folks and you're just taking them to a to this other grocery store can are there other stops along the way yeah so uh you know right now we, we definitely are servicing publics since they are a chief sponsor in the program however uh within our route like even this morning i uh, helped a gentleman who was here for work get to the marta he wanted to get to the airport and it was in route mm -hmm. uh so you know we will try to be as flexible as possible but Publix is our chief sponsor in addition to the dda and uh, shirley's team so we want to make sure we're accommodating those folks first okay so shirley be so Publix is a sponsor. That's so. That's why everybody going to their grocery store. What if they don't want to go to Publix? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's not fair. You can't, you can't make somebody go to Publix. <laughs> Come on, Shirley. What's the answer to that? Now, I, now Sean told you he can only go within one to three miles. Now, <laughs> well, isn't the other we Kroger kind of close? It may be, but this is this is a Publix and, and Downtown Development Authority project, and it's very clear on our signage, our posters, our flyers that say it is a, a Publix, uh, a ride to Publix at Sam's Crossing Village. Well, what if Kroger wants to have a ride to Kroger? Sean, will you accept that or you have a non-compete clause? Well, well, once the project uh, and the, the campaign is over, I, well, we're open I'm, to uh, looking at any other service providers. Kroger, uh, Sprouts uh, has been mentioned. Well, somebody about, might want to go to the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the farmer's market. I mean. <laughs> it's hard for us to get to Moreland from uh, downtown Decatur. All right. You know, everybody. All right. Y'all, Sean, y'all need to holler at Kroger, you know. Um <laughs> I have a question from a listener for you, Shirley. They want to know, was there or could there be an opportunity to work with Martyr to better connect to grocery stores, especially as you think about long-term solutions? Since you talked about the importance of for folks, for your residents in that part of downtown Decatur. So is this a situation where you could maybe say, hey, Marta, can you all, I mean, Buckhead, they had that little buck bus, whatever it was. Could y'all do something like that? Uh, well, that I think that service in Buckhead is actually not with Marta, but um but in any case, um, we have not. Um, you do. Um, there is a, a program that Marta is working on, uh, the Clifton Shuttle mm -hmm. uh, uh, Corridor Shuttle that they're working on. That's uh, I think they did a test run it last summer, and um, that is something that they have some ideas around what they want to do and having that shuttle go through downtown. But I will I will say this: prior to COVID, the city had a, a program called Go Sixty. Mm -hmm. It was a Go Sixty okay. bus, and it picked up seniors and took them to the grocery store. Um, and so that, because of COVID, that program stopped. We are looking at that. We're looking at many opportunities. This e-shuttle program is, is 90 day pilot. Mm -hmm. We're gonna review the data from that. We're looking back at the uh, Go 60 program to see how we can expand that. So 
that it goes to not just downtown, but over in Oakhurst, because Oakhurst is a part of City of Decatur, mm-hmm. um, and possibly not just be for seniors. So we are looking at many um, opportunities to be able to serve our community. Definitely, um, the e-show was great because we were look. Our we have a um, we want to be sustainable. We want to mm-hmm. have something that is uh, environmentally uh, sustainable. So uh, we're looking at. At different options and um, and not saying okay this is going to be that one thing at this point we want to definitely be able to look at the at the data to see what what shakes out from it. So with that data that you're going to examine, besides how many people you know utilize the service, is there anything else that would could possibly be that factor to say you know what, yeah we need to expand this a little bit more or you know what let's let's go back to the drawing board here. Right. And we've been getting feedback from other parts of the community that say, hey, we really wanted it here. We've gotten some feedback from Agnes Scott um, saying, hey, what about us over here? Uh, So we're looking at feedback. We're looking at even what uh, the person who uh, ran the Go60 program, looking back at some of her data from that information that she had. We'll bring it all together to take a look at it and and see how we can definitely provide we want to be able to provide for everyone in our community, not just one particular area. I was very familiar with Sean's vehicle, so I knew we couldn't go all over the city at this time um, with with two East shuttles. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why we were very concentrated in the area that we, we were looking at and definitely the area that was most impacted by the closing of, mm-hmm. of the Kroger downtown. And to that point, Sean, I have a question from, from the same listener. It says Westside Atlanta recently lost a supermarket through the, though the Walmart will eventually reopen in a new format, could Let's Ride see itself expanding its reach there? Yeah, absolutely. That is a, a key goal for us is to continue to provide these positive outcomes through electric transit for you know other areas in the city. And we do have a couple partnerships coming up that will allow us not only to expand vehicles, but expand our footprint. Uh, and so we, we will definitely be coming to the west side, uh, you know, currently servicing downtown and midtown Atlanta and other areas where we see uh, a need and a demand there. Don't forget about the west side. and sean i I think listeners uh, should know we should say you all this is a black owned bride share business absolutely absolutely this was uh basically and shout out to my wife Uh, my wife and i we decided to start this what's your wife's name uh, my wife is Kiani Shillman cooper okay cool listening she's a big supporter um and you know this it, it, it began out of necessity. I mean, mm-hmm. We saw this operating in you know parts of Florida at a very very high success rate, and wonder why Atlanta didn't have this. And uh, you know we decided to take a, a chance and bootstrap this opportunity to really see if it, we can make it work. Here's a question for both of you as we begin to wrap up. We've had so many conversations about the future of transit and mobility in this region, and everyone I speak with, they all agree that it takes. Want to take more? It's going to take public transportation. It takes you know e-scooters. It's going to take light rail, heavy rail. It takes all of these different avenues of improving our region's mobility and transit. How do you see something like this being being a big part of when we talk about how do we improve our overall mobility and transit in this region? I'll let you go first, Shirley. Um, I definitely uh, see it as being a big part of it. I think we do have to be diverse in our thinking of of what transit looks like for each individual um, and being understanding of each individual and, but everybody that we can 
that we can all do it together. We don't have to say, okay, well, you be over there and you be over here or be against you because you drive a car or because you do an electric car versus riding a bicycle. Um, whatever we, you know, as it comes along, it does have to be a collaborative effort for everyone involved and everyone using any of these modes of transportation. Because, I mean, a person can drive a car today, but then tomorrow they may want to take the train to work. I mean, that's, that's, that's me, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes. And so uh, we just definitely have to work together and be open to all the ideas that are out there on the table and definitely put a lot of consideration and support around each of those uh, areas more so than we have just put everything on cars. We do need to look at all modes of transportation and be supportive of them as long as they're safe, Mm -hmm. as long as they can get people from one location to the other, also making sure that it's affordable for everyone uh, because cars are not really affordable for everyone. Mm-hmm. So we definitely have to be supportive and make sure it's affordable for everyone. And equity is such a big piece of that. Sean, I'll give you the last word there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think what Shirley said is, is very spot on. Uh, I think it takes uh, partnerships that's between municipalities you know, transit organizations, uh, commissions to really see these opportunities through. And and multimodal transportation is definitely here to stay. I think we have to think about what's safe uh, for folks uh, also in that because, you know, we have folks downtown and Midtown and Decatur, they're families, right? Uh, Everyone can't take necessarily a scooter or bike and having some level of multimodal transportation uh, in cities, I think is gonna be very key into helping with curbside management uh, and even just, uh, you know, overall traffic uh, in addition to the big picture, which is, you know, just helping with carbon emissions. And so for us, that's very key. And we're determined to really, you know, help and partner with folks to see these things to fruition. All right. And get folks to the Piggly Wiggly too, if they want to get there. <laughs> so a lot of folks like Publix wings. So, you know, Mardi Gras wings are a thing. And a lot of folks like Kroger wings. I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to put up Publix on the platform. Come on now. You know, you know this show. I'm saying it's Super Bowl weekend. Man. Yeah, but and actually, I listen since y'all want to do that. The best wings are from a man over at, in in the AU near the AU Center. But you say not a man? Does it even have a name? Yes, it's, my man that owns Jr. Crickets over there. Yeah, those are the best wings. How about okay, that? Now, okay, I'm gonna have to go check them out. Yeah, check them out. <laughs> <laughs> Cooper, Director of Operations for Let's Ride Atlanta. Shirley Bayless, Business Development Manager for Civic Decatur. Thank you both for taking time. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our supervising producer is Tiffany Griffith. Our engineers are Kevin Rinker and Sawyer Vonderworth. Thank you, Vote. Thank you all for taking the time to listen to us today. Reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email. Rose at WABE.org. Stay tuned to 9.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) W-A-B-E. 
Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.